What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 72 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh. And as ever, I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, it's the hottest day in the history of the universe, I think, today. Yeah, I think I, was, I saw this I saw this tweet and I was thinking of exactly the same thing. I can't believe I'm going to survive coronavirus and get murked off by hay fever. <laughs> like, that, that, that's going to be the way I'm going to go. Like, I'm, I'm in such a tough position at the moment. <laughs> you know me? According to our statistics, like 40% of our listeners are from the USA. Um, I don't know how you guys deal with this like on a regular basis. Obviously, depending on which part of the USA you're all from. Obviously, if you're from like a colder area of the USA, this doesn't really count to you. Uh, but if you're <laughs> if you're from like California, I don't know how you live through this like on a regular basis. This is really it's really difficult for us. Well, they like parts of it just catch fire. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Parts of a year, like it's not happening. But there was uh, this is guy on my, on my Twitter who grew up in North Carolina, and this guy um, tweeted him saying. Um, British heat is the worst heat. And he was like, mate, um, you're it's 26 degrees in the UK right now. I wouldn't even take a jeans and a hoodie off for 26 degrees. That is crazy. It's so weird. Like, imagine, I cannot imagine me wearing jeans and a hoodie in 26 degree heat. Like, the way the human body can acclimatize to regular temperature is so wild. Oh, that is one of the craziest parts of human science, the way that bodies just acclimatize. If we were constantly exposed to 26 degree heat, we would just get used to it and it would become the norm. How is that a thing? That's insane. Oh, it's so weird. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. Like, it turns 17 degrees in England and, like, people are taking taking their shirts off. Yeah. Oh, and stuff like it's just absolutely mental, like the way that we're the way that we used to it and things. It was um we were at school today, and there was we had a guy from uh, the armed forces talking to the kids. He was talking about some of the training that he has to do for Afghanistan, and to train you for Afghanistan, I take you to Kenya to get used to the temperature of a really hot country. <laughs> and so like he's in Kenya with all his like gear on and all the helmets and the armor and all that bits Dude. and bobs, and they're doing like circuit training. In, in with like backpacks in, in the middle of Africa and it's like how do you not just how do you not just pass out like I went to Sainsbury's today and it felt like a biblical mission like going <laughs> walking through all around town centre today it was just a nightmare so I, I, you're right it is um, a miracle of human science and perseverance of which clearly I've got lack of either yeah, luckily we're not about to try and give out some kind of science tips on this podcast because <laughs> I think yeah, the, I think that's what the one thing that would be worse in the chat that we actually are about to have. Uh, this is a rock and metal podcast uh, sponsored by Stereobound Records. Uh, we usually come to you every fortnight, but depending on the release schedule, sometimes we come to you weekly or if I've got a big interview that I want to release. Uh, we are available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, basically wherever you listen or watch podcasts, we will be there. And wherever you are listening, slash watching, please give us a subscription slash a follow. That is the best way to support us. And thank you for everyone that has done that lately. You can follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast. Me and Sam both run that account. On this episode of the Noise Podcast, uh, there's a couple of news items that I think we can fleet over. Not, not really anything of great detail going on of late. Uh, we've got album reviews on like the Torch's new record, You Will Be the Death of Me, and Bear Tooths Below. Uh, this week's Chris Meets is where I interviewed Interlopers Alex Baker. Sam, did you you, have you found time to listen to that interlaper album that I sent to you? It's, it's tomorrow's task, my dude. Friend. It's tomorrow's task. It's so good. It, you know, I'm like a prog. I'm yeah. very, very picky. And I, I think I'm, I, when I was talking to you about the album's called Search Party. 
I was talking to you about search party and I was like, it's prog, but it's all less than five minutes. And you were like, it's not prog. <laughs> you know, um, like, like I, I did laugh and you did have a point, but you were, it's progressive death metal that doesn't get overtly introspective and doesn't start shining itself in its own wax for it to be done for a paint. You know what I mean? Like, it, it doesn't like overly indulge itself. It, it's great, man. The, uh, I think you'll really like it, dude. Um, so yeah, this week's Chris Meats is an interview with the guitarist of Interlab, Alex Baker, who is an absolute gent. So be sure to stick around at the end of the episode for that. In terms of news, Sam, I mentioned there was a couple of things that I'd like us to fleet over. Did you see the picture of Code Orange in the studio with uh, Billy Corgan, Sam? No, that's an interesting combination. Mate, Code Orange and Billy Corgan, all, all there is is a picture of of them grouped around the, mix, the mixing desk. Dude, I want to hear it yesterday. Like... I want to hear what was being done. Mate, Billy Corgan and Code Orange. For those of those who don't know, Billy Corgan's from Smashing Pumpkins, a legendary alternative rock band. I can't, dude, I can't even, I can't even imagine. I've got no idea what that will be. Um, but like, if I said to you, name me a hardcore band that would do something with Billy Corgan, you, you'd say Code Orange, wouldn't you? You'd choose Code Orange because of how diverse they are. Yeah, I think I would. And I think if you think about Billy Corgan's voice and the, some of the experimentation with melody that Code Orange have done on underneath, you can actually see a little bit of a, a world where you could have inserted Billy Corgan, just thinking of it now, where you could insert Billy Corgan on some of those some of those songs. I mean, it is it's, it's an interesting combination. Yeah. And um, the metal world, more than ever, I've noticed, not about you, is collaborating. No, yeah. no, very, very recently, there seems to be a, a proper diverge, a convergence, sorry, between these camps that used to be really sort of walled off and tended not to do this. And that's changing rapidly at the moment, which I think is a great thing. I'm with you, man. I want to hear what that is. Even if it's one single, like, I just think that would be the coolest. And, you know, it might not go well. It might not be good. But Code Orange and Billy Corgan, I am absolutely here for it. Uh, supposedly, Sam, Slipknot's album, uh, or referred to as God Music, as we were talking about on our last podcast, uh, that is going to be finished next month, with which you would assume we'll be hearing a, sig- a single October, November time. And possibly, yeah, uh, and possibly early 2022 release date. So that's going to be one of the quicker album turnarounds for Slipknot. In fact, if I remember correctly, the quickest since self-titled to oh, Iowa. That's right. Yeah, that took like a year. Yeah. Interesting. You know, we, we're not going to go over it again. We spoke about it on the last episode. I'll always be interested. I just, I think the whole uh, quote-unquote God music is pure uh, PR, and I, I, we, I, we discussed how we'd prefer them not to do that. Little bit um, unprofessional here, Sam, because I'm just, I'm going to bring up the news article now and read it to you, and there isn't really much for us to discuss here, but I did see it flash, and because of our thoughts on the banding question, I thought it'd be worth bringing up to you. Um, Vince Neil returns to the stage, then walks off again. After voice fails, um, basically, I'm gonna, I, I'm on Metal Hammer's website here, and I'm going to read you like this news article. Um, Vince Neil's post-pandemic return to the stage has not gone as well as the Motley Crue singer may have hoped. Uh, Neil, who joined Sammy Hagar on stage only last week for a sprightly rendition of Led Zeppelin's classic rock and roll in Orlando, Florida, was performing his first full show since lockdown at the Boone River Festival in Iowa alongside Great White and Night Ranger when his song when his voice gave out. 
Um, Neil was 14 songs into a set stuff with Motley Crue Classics when the wheels fell off. The singer abandoned the stage with his voice creaking as the band played on and apologised to the audience saying, hey guys, I'm sorry, you guys, it's been a long time playing. My voice is gone. We love you and we hope to see you next time, man. Thank you. Now, vocalist's voice goes, wouldn't be a new story, Sam, but Vince Neil is quite open the fact that he doesn't really take care of himself or doesn't really take touring massively seriously. And me and you both dislike Motley Crue, Sam. So Vince Neil walking off stage because his voice isn't working because he doesn't really put the effort in to maintain it is probably the most predictable thing I've heard in 2021. And presumably relief spread through the crowd. <laughs> yeah. After 14 songs sung by yeah. Vince Neil in 2021, I, I've been rooting for Laryngitis by track 12. Like, oh, God, God. <laughs> now, now, the thing is, right, your favourite artist is Bruce Springsteen, right? Now, yeah. Bruce Springsteen is in his late 60s, if not early 70s. Early 70s now, mate, yeah. Right, now, I do not know Motley Crue's full discography, luckily for me, and I do not know Bruce Springsteen's full discography, I don't think that the two would be too far away in terms of requirement on your vocals, really. It's just that Bruce Springsteen takes it really seriously and Vince Neil doesn't take it really seriously. And that's why Bruce Springsteen does this in his 70s and Vince Neil can't do this in his 50s. Yeah, well, Springsteen plays three and a half hour shows and Vince Neil can't make it through an hour and a half. And there's like 20 years difference between them. But yeah, you're right. Springsteen looks after himself. He doesn't drink that much. He goes to the gym every day. He keeps himself fit. I mean, like he's 73, four, something like that. He looks looks better than most people 20 years his, his junior because he just looks after himself. But I thought Motley Crue and all Motley Crue related things were over. And I hoped. Clearly Vince Neil's body also thought that all Motley Crue related things were over. Um, so I mean, knock it on the head. And do we? I'd absolutely nobody needs Vince Neil and Sammy fucking Hagar covering Led Zeppelin 14 tracks in. Nobody needs that. That's that's karaoke. That is that's not something you want to pay for. Well, Motley Crue did retire, and then they put that video up of like blowing up the contract. I don't know whether you saw this. They, they did, did. they did announce their retirement, and then they came back and like the actual contract that they signed to say that had retired, they put it on a coffee table and like literally blew it up on video. Really cringe. And then they announced that stadium tour with Led, with um, Led Zeppelin, Def Leppard. Dude, I honestly cannot tell you a place I'd rather be less <laughs> than that in, than in that stadium with Def Leppard and Motley Crue. I mean, mate, I saw Def Leppard headline down there and I've gone a bit a few times. It was so boring. Oh, Motley Crue and Def Leppard. Oh, mate, I'd be, I'd be having such an awful time. My God, honestly, just the the, the <laughs> collective age and tiredness of of that of that lineup. It, it's it's unnecessary. The time the time was the time has come and gone. And far far be it from me to for, for me to, to to call it quits on these bands. And you know, I don't. You know, if there's fans out there that want to go and pay and see that, then fantastic. That's absolutely fine. Like it's the same way we see museums. Um, in the same sort of regard, but this is this has run its course to the point where it's not it's not even physically possible for these for these guys anymore. And the 
the social media activity, as you say, is cringeworthy. It is awkward. I've never met a band, never met a band, I've never known a band so actively desperate for any scrap of relevancy than Motley Crue. Um, the, the moment that a documentary that was terrible, by the way, and it's when she spent an hour and a half saying, you know, these guys are really horrible human beings. And that was enough for them to be like, hey, do you want more of us? Because people watch us on Netflix. Like, no, um, I, I just don't I don't get it at all. Um, Vince Neil doesn't look after himself. Vince Neil hasn't been in good shape for a while. And that's making an effect. Um, whereas you contrast by someone that has, I contrast him not with Springsteen, but look at Axl Rose. Axl yeah, Rose yeah. was having massive issues, right? In terms of his on time, his timeliness, his tardiness, his ability to go through shows. There was that famous one where they did Red and Lisa, they turned up for an hour and a half, and then they turned the lights off halfway through November rain because it was like, look, there's a curfew. Sorry, turn up. Um, and then he did the big sh- show with ACDC and completely switched it round, sorted, sorted himself out. And when, when I saw Guns N' Roses in 2017, like they were on at the minute on time and off at the minute off time they played three hours and they were they were great so it can be done if you just have some discipline and if Vince Neil's not going to take it seriously he doesn't deserve any sympathy when his throat gives out you know a few weeks ago Sam and I think I, I might I may have been with you when this was happening I put like a joke tweet up talking about like hair metal and then it was like the, the dog cloud taking over the city and I put like the city is hair metal, and then I put the dog cloud as like Seattle in the early nineties. And people were people like responding the comments, being like, "Oh, I'd rather take hair metal because it's fun over like grunge because all the talk about is like sadness and taking drugs." And it's like, man, you know what? At least grunge held up. You tell me you wouldn't rather see Alice in Chains than bloody Motley Crue. I mean, please. And who who what who goes to Motley Crue for the fun lyrical content? <laughs> yeah. What kind of what kind of argument is that? Oh, I, I like girls, girls, girls. You know, it reminds me that women exist. What? What the what on earth are you talking what earth are you talking about? Kickstart my heart. Oh, it's fun. It's a bit heroin. Like yeah. stop. They'll talk about drug taking. I mean I'll read 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 the dirt. Try again. It's just it's just insane. It's just insane. They, they, they weren't great. This is the thing. Motley Crue, people's memories have changed and, and and it gets softer over time. Motley Crue were laughable then in the 80s. They were popular, but they were not taken seriously. If you were like, if you were a big, a big, big rock and metal fan in the 1980s, your favourite bands were like ACDC, Deep Purple, Rush, Iron Maiden. And latterly, if you're into extreme metal like me and you were, you became a Sepultura, Metallica fan, a Megadeth fan. If those, if you're a Metallica fan and you, Someone said they're like Motley Crue. It wouldn't be like, oh yeah, they're a legendary band. It would be laughable, and it's got worse since. Yeah. So I I don't get the facade. I don't get the pretending that they ever had you know this massive hook on the on the genre that they ever have massive talent. Clearly, all that's that's shocked away. And I like you would absolutely prefer to see Alice in Chains, even with their vocalist. Who actually died <laughs> over Vince Neil, who is who is still alive and performing really badly right now. I'd I'd still take Alison Chains without a vocalist. It's just oh, we're going to move on to album review, Sam. Uh, we will start with "Light the Torch." You will be the death of me. For those who aren't familiar, uh, "Light the Torch" is Howard Jones, not a new band, but a band he's been in. The, the first record came out in twenty eighteen. And this is the follow-up to that uh, record that was called Revival. Uh, this album, You'll Be the Death of Me, is their second full-length record, and it's out on June 25th via Nuclear Blast. 
Now, so I guess, Sam, going into this record, knowing the affinity that me and you have for 2004 to 2009, Kill Switch Engage, I'm going into this album just hoping that it won't be damaged to his legacy. Were you going in with any higher or lower expectation than me? I wasn't going with any expectations, to be honest. Okay, none whatsoever. None whatsoever, because I've heard some of the solo stuff that was hit and miss. Yeah. I was like, let's just see what this is like. Well, I, I guess the first thing I, I could really point out, Sam, because he did that song with Jared Dines, didn't he, under the band name of Sion. Uh, and that, that, like, Jared Dines and Howard's album, I'm assuming, will be out perhaps before the end of this year. And we, we listened to that and we were like, before we went in, we were like, we want it to say, we want it to be Howard Jones have a kill switch riffs. And we were like, it's Howard Jones have a kill switch riffs. This is awesome. Great. We can't wait for the, for the album. Now, this isn't Howard Jones have a kill switch riffs. It's more Howard Jones over hard rock. Would you agree that it's Howard Jones over hard rock as opposed to Howard Jones have a kill switch? Yes, yeah, I, I I wrote that when I were initially part of my opening lines. Actually, my notes is that it doesn't brim with the same metalcore searing metalcore riffs, but it's it's an absolutely a simpler, um, more structured, formulaic songwriting structure. That I don't know if it's deliberate, but this is just what it is. It is absolutely more in the Alter Bridge camp than the Kill Switch Engage camp. With that said, Sam. I think this is a good record. I, I, th- this has some unbelievable chorus and verse soundscapes. And Howard, as you would expect, is put entirely in the spotlight. Where else would you want him? I actually think this record is really solid. I think I think it's good in places. And I think there are some, I agree with you, that there are some massive verses and choruses. I agree. And, and particularly, obviously... Um, the best parts are with with Howard singing those massive notes over the big choruses. My only gripe is that it appears that the, every song is just waiting for that. Yeah, yeah. And that every other part of the song is just the bits in between the bit where Howard gets to do the chorus. And it does feel like that a lot. So, for example, let's let's talk at uh, writing in the list, um, which is a catchy main riff, kind of a cheesy bridge, but. It's a massive chorus. Sorry, do you mean wilting of... in the light? Is it wilting in the light, not wilting, wilting in the list? Wilting in the light, yeah, yeah. Auto-correct, auto so sorry. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Writing in the list. I was like, have I missed a track here? <laughs> sorry, wilting in the light, I think. Yeah, sorry. Where it's it's a catchy main riff, it's a kind of a cheesy riff, but again, it's, like a, it's a massive chorus. It's got a nice groovy beatdown section, but none of it, at any point apart from the chorus, am I like, this is great. I'm just like, cool, this is all right. This is perfectly fine. I'm happy with this. I've got no issue with it. I'm oh, great with the chorus. Uh, and I feel like that running through. Um, I feel I feel like that's like about a lot of them. Um, so like, let's just pick another, another example. So Living With A Ghost, it's, it's like a, a nice, great straight drum beat, but I felt like it needs a bit of an intensity. Breakdown um, is chunky, but again, it's 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 a catchy sort of chorus riff that it feels like we just keep referring back to constantly a little bit, and that's obviously the strength of the band. I mean, it's it 
probably is it Howard and the Joneses? It probably is in terms of the way that this this is this is being written. Um, but it does need it does need something else, I think, to 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 carry it throughout. And the, I think actually the the best songs are where that actually happens a little bit. So something deep inside is this like grimace inducing riff. It's like a nice connected song which is clear and, and it has a nice main thread. It's like an enjoyable romp with a driving beat throughout. It's a decent chorus. Um, and, and, and that's where, that's where the, the, it's at its peak. The only problems, the problems that I have is that songs where the, there are like mediocre verses that have decent um, choruses that don't rescue it enough. Um, so like, I Hate Myself, which is a decent chorus and okay song throughout, but there isn't enough elsewhere to make it feel that it's anything other than an album track on like a decent Killswitch record from the early 2010s. Do you know what I mean? And the songs that are really, really rescue it, that are really very good are ones there where the riff work is like a seven out of 10. And obviously you already get that eight out of 10 sort of chorus and that brings it up overall. So my favorite song on the, the album, for example, is Denying the Sin, which is a great metal riff opening, classically titled metal song. Riff is the highlight, lovely pinch harmonic, nice little triplet in the prog, like prog style breakdown. It's like a middle eight riff that develops nice into this palm muted section. So it's not a great solo, it's still really enjoyable. And then you also get the big chorus as well. So it's like I get all these two or three things that are the elements of great metal songs or great hard rock songs. And then I also get the Howard element. Too often it feels like if you took Howard out of this and replaced him with a five or six out of ten vocalist, we would not be waxing lyrical about this album, even a little bit, I feel. Well, it's interesting, Sam, that your highlights came at the back end of the record. I fully, I would have expected that by the back end of the record, you had, you would have already drifted because I started drifting from this album just after Living With A Ghost. Oh, oh, that's where I started feeling like, right, okay, I, I feel like I've already heard the best of what this album can offer. And again, interesting that you bring, or you, you mentioned something deep inside. Now, I felt like that was a bit too five-finger death punch for me. The whole, you know, the whole biker riffs and monster energy obsession yeah. kind of sound. That that one, that one, I felt like, right, okay, I've definitely heard the best thing that this album can offer. However... I say that, come back to the quicksand, did actually perk me up again. It's opening burst guitar line. It kind of reminded me of Prayer the Refugee for some reason. Um, oh, yeah, got, I can see that. It's got this real that. twist and classic metal sound to the guitar work that closes it out as well. And it bounces well off Howard's comeback vocals in. So come back to the quicksand actually really perked me back in. And I, I didn't see that coming because I, I was really like kind of, hooked in early on so more than dreaming you know it, it's open it's quite interesting it's got this kind of fluctuating riff Howard's voice coming in first 30 seconds into an album you are going to get hooked it sounds epic it's Howard Jones I mean please he, he could sing anything and you just get into it um <laughs> the, the twist that he puts on his voice is incredibly unique and he's got this the chorus melodies that he puts over the over the lyric, uh, you can pretend to be alone, but I don't hear you screaming. It, it, it's so good. And then also, I'm more than dreaming, like a little solo comes in before the main riff returns as well. And I was thinking that maybe this would be this like openly eclectic hard rock record. It's not. It doesn't. There are a few solos in it, but it doesn't, it doesn't move into like ACDC category, probably for its, for its benefit, I would say. Yeah. But I, 
I actually loved Wilting in the Light. Wilting in the Light was where I was like, this, uh, like, because it, it's just, it uses Howard so well. And I, he's got this, he does that elongated in the dark mosh core and the guitar work comes back in. It's really crushing. Uh, I just feel like he was, Howard Jones was utilized so brilliantly there. And you, you made a very, very good point towards the end of your discussion. I figured out quite quickly that if we took Howard out and put a seven out of 10 vocalist in, I would probably have got bored of this record four songs in. And by bored, I don't mean like, oh, I figured this album out. I mean, like I'm looking at my watch, hoping for this album to end because this album's kind of cyclical structure is quite clear within the first like nine minutes. And it doesn't deviate from that. And that's fine because that's what this record is a hard rock record how much can you really do with hard rock that doesn't deviate but i'm glad they've got howard yes um he makes a tremendous difference because he he rescues the 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 decent songs and turns into good ones and also i would like to talk a little bit about this final song on the record i should point out that that is a cover song um, yeah, that obviously makes a complete sense because it is just a complete antithesis to everything that goes before <laughs> yeah. it. But yeah. also, also, it's really weird and it doesn't it work. It doesn't. Um, the this seventies disco feel to the chorus, with the like the lady being elongated and baby, it's just so strange. And that's the one song where I'm like, Howard's voice doesn't rescue this at all. It just sounds really helter skelter and completely <laughs> off. And there's that weird tum drum tempo. And by the time I reached that point, I was like, Oh God, what is happening here? <laughs> <laughs> because I could forgive the re- I could forgive any of the rest of it, any of the multitude of previous prior scenes where it's like, all right, it's mediocre, but you know, Howard's Jones voice. Oh, that's cool. By the end of that, I was like, this is not the way you should finish this out at all. This feels <laughs> odd. Um, and obviously it makes sense that it's it's, it's a cover because it just you know, it's just completely different and it sort of meanders along. But yeah, I, like you said earlier, you wouldn't exactly be bored, but you sort of like looking at your watch without Howard Jones. This is, this is just generic stuff. Um, Howard misses a real, no offense, like, misses a, a real injection of songwriting chemistry. I think a little bit more riff work, a little bit of, of, of acceleration, a little bit of pace, a bit of, I don't know, something, a spark. To, to, to combine because I know you love Ali and I, I do too but he's also he, he, he's not massively ranged as a vocalist right like Harry Jones has a particular sound right and that's you know that's his note that's his range and that sounds fantastic but he's not the sort of guy like Spencer Satello from Periphery who could do a multitude of things mm. and like you know go from one end of the spectrum to another or even like an even like an Ollie Sykes actually now who can go from really brutal to really sort of, he can't, he's not quite in that. So that the songs really have to be good as well, I feel. And this has proven that he's Howard Jones, the type of vocalist that you could take out of Kill Switch and put him in a, a decent band and he carries it. I don't think that's the case because this is good in places, but this is mostly decent overall. I feel... I would be comfortable saying this is a good record. I, I, I would be. I would go one step further than you and say that rather than good in places, I, I think this is a good hard rock record. It's a lot better than Five Finger Death Punch's last record. I know that they're not exactly the same, but I suppose if we're talking hard rock and we're talking contemporary hard rock, 
five-figure death punch are like, like I know that some people think they're a metal band. I personally think they're closer to hard rock than they are contemporary metal. Um, I, I actually would go, like I said, I, I, I'd call this good. I think that more than, the, the opening five, more than dreamy, let me fall apart, end of the world, right, wilting in the light and death of me are really, really great. And, and, and Howard Jones sounds absolutely like they put that spotlight on him and it's just this constant punch of his great, like soaring choruses. And as a Killswitch fan, what, what else could you want? And and the, the album doesn't kind of try and placate Killswitch fans. This is this is not a metal record. This is this is perfectly within the realms of what Light the Torch can perform. But I think that it is done. It is done really well. I feel like okay, interesting to you where the end for you is what saved it. I feel like the start is absolutely its peak and its troughs come after death of me because you start getting to this point of expectation where you feel like you've already heard the best version of this and this is just like another take on it. Uh, Living with a Ghost is probably the most aggressive track on the record though. And I, I haven't heard Howard as cutting as he is on those verses on Living With A Ghost for a while. It also chucks in his interesting synths on the chorus and like it's got like a high-pitched beat, which swing, which switches things up nicely by that point. Um, and the, the synths come back in behind the breakdown as well, which is cool. But towards the real latter end, it, it starts to get incredibly predictable. And then sign your name. Yeah, it's a cover, so I'll let it go. But that is an odd, odd end to this record. I suppose when, when you're hearing... Uh, uh, God, is it fair for us to, to keep from... Well, not you. You, I've done it much more than you in this review. Is it fair for me to keep saying this? I don't know. I suppose when you hear Howard Jones is going to do a cover song, you think Holy Diver, don't you? You're thinking about Holy Diver, aren't you? And, and you know, is it fair for me to do that? Probably not. Kills, Howard Jones hasn't been in Killswitch for literally more than a decade. <laughs> um, so it's unfair, isn't it? But you, you do, don't you? And Sign Your Name is nowhere near Holy Diver. Well, yeah, but also pick a better song than Sign Your Name. I mean, if you're going to cover, you've got literally any song that's ever been written in the history of music, and that's the one you chose. Um, is, this, is this better than the last Killswitch record for you? Oh, that's, I tell you what, mate. Um, oh, well, we kind of, we didn't slight that Killswitch record, but we did say, lads, come on now. We we, we were at yeah. the point where we were like, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of done with this, mate. Uh, and I don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm kind of done with this. I think they are, they're not comparable in terms of sound. Oh. I oh. think I, w- I would listen to this again before I listen to that uh, kill switch, that new kill switch record, which was called Atonement, sure. if I remember correctly. Yeah, I don't think I would. I think I prefer the kill switch records. I mean, it's not, it's not, they're not massively far away from each other. Um, because I think this, I think this, this doesn't get to the heights of the kill switch experience. As, as often just in terms of just in terms of my enjoyability in, 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 in that album although I can accept your viewpoint and I think it does just come down to simple preference you you, you are a huge Howard Jones fan of the Kill yeah. that Killswitch era and I think you're more likely to dive into something that features his voice than something that features Jesse Leach who he's still very very good Great. but isn't but isn't as good whereas for me I think if I get Jesse Leach and also Killed the Killswitch group. 
I would take that over Howard Jones and insert cacophony of other musicians here. Uh, that's just my viewpoint. What I will say about Atonement, the Signal Fire, which is the song that Howard guests on, on Atonement, is, is, yeah. is better than any song that's from the rest of Atonement and from You Will Be the Death of Me yes. by Light the Torch. Um, I just feel Absolutely. like I, I just feel like Atonement is largely weak elsewhere. And I feel like this is consistently a seven. And I feel like Atonement is an 8.5 on Signal Fire and then mix and then drops between six, five, and seven, six, five, and seven. Whereas I, I genuinely feel like, apart from Sign Your Name, which is a cover, and I'll let that go, this stays at a seven out of 10 throughout for me. So I, I actually really enjoyed this. But that, again, we should caveat that with Howard and Kill Switch is one of my favorite like stretches of music. I, just, I think, yeah, end of heartache as daylight dies. What a duo of records. I mean, they just, I just adore them so much. So I guess I was always more likely to say that than you. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very fair. Sam, let's close off the show before my interview with uh, Miles Baker coming. I realised that I've called him Alex Baker during the intro. <laughs> I swear that's the guy that um that does the Kerrang show. Anyway, oh God, we might have to re-record that intro. Anyway. We're going to close out uh, the show before my interview with Miles Baker comes in uh, with Beartooth's Below. It's out on the 25th of June via Red Bull Records. It's Beartooth's fourth record and the follow-up to 2018's Disease. Sam, we saw Beartooth support Architects with Polaris at Wembley. Uh, it was off the back of the Disease run, which it was. I, I said after the show, and I, I believe that you agreed with me, actually. I said, it's always a concern when I'm watching a band that's only on their third album and I'm thinking, oh, I have to play an old one soon. Because if you remember, Sam, the crowd... <laughs> there aren't any old ones. <laughs> if you remember, Sam, the crowd was kind of lukewarm to them. Disease wasn't a great record. It was all right. And me and you were like, wow, Polaris played these off the stage because Polaris were the yeah. first band on and then Beartooth followed. And we, and me, you and Leon, who was with us, we were all like, Polaris really showed Beartooth up, man. Like, um, and then we kind of left being like, I'm kind of worried about Beartooth. You know, like, what if the next album isn't great? Because this, this show, this is Architects headlining Wembley, Beartooth supporting, you would think, ideal demographic and kind of and fan set for Beartooth. And it was a real lukewarm reception from what I can remember. So I honestly uh, started worrying for them. Um, so I went into this record kind of nervous, Sam. I was worried that maybe Beartooth's best days would, would maybe not be behind them, but maybe would they would be approaching the point where we're already at the point where we say we don't need any more Beartooth and it's only their fourth album. How did you, what were your thoughts on Beartooth going into this record? Um, kind of, kind of similar um, to the point where there'd been, there's been sort of like a blueprint established with Beartooth sound. And I was th already thinking to myself, I hope they move away from it and try something different. Or we're going to be locked into, to what they are. Um, I have, a, I have a theory on Beartooth I wanted please, to share with you. It's an, please. It's an, it's an analogy that I've, I've been working on, um, just meandering to myself today. Um, have you watched Fast and Furious, Chris? Uh, yes, I know where you're going. Go on. Beartooth of the Fast and Furious franchise, Chris. Yeah. Um, so 
I, I know exactly what I'm going to get from a Fast and Furious film. I'm going to sit there for 90 minutes or so. I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to laugh at the occasionally funny bits. I'll enjoy it. It's a decent thrill ride. And then I'll walk out the cinema and never think about Fast and Furious films ever again. Two years later, there will be another one and I will do the same thing. Yeah. And that is happening with this Beartooth record. Um, so that means I'm, I'm thoroughly looking forward to Beartooth 5, more bear, more tooth. It's going to be coming in in 2023. Um, but other than, other than that... <laughs> other than that... That was so cheap. That was I don't care. so cheap. I, I, I don't care. I don't care. Um, but that, that's that's where we are with this. Um, I quite I quite like Disease in Parts. There's a song in it called Bad Listener that I really enjoyed. Um, but the rest of it was 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 fairly redundant uh, because it was identical to the previous album, which was identical to the previous album before that. And I was thinking to myself, if they're going to differentiate and move forward, there's got to be a change of pace on this new record. So that was my that was my approach going in. And I think by the sounds of your monologue and a little bit of the sounds of ours, both fears and concerns have been have been justified, haven't they? This is the thing, Sam. Right. I'm going to read you a quote written from the line and notes that we had that came with this record. Written, performed, produced, engineered, mixed and mastered by Caleb Shoma. I mean, please. Right. Like, seriously, dude. Like, he writes, he, he does everything. Now, that's not that much of a problem when you're Trent Reznor. Or Prince, or, or, or Prince, or when you're Dave Grohl writing the first, the first few Foo Fighters record, and also caveat there, Dave Grohl wrote the first few rec- first Foo Fighters record entirely, not out of choice, but because he had to, because he didn't have any musicians, so he had to, he had to do the drums himself and the guitars and the bass and the vocals because he didn't have any musicians. Caleb Shamo has musicians, but he writes it all himself. He produces it all himself. He mixed and mastered it himself. There is, like, I don't know the inner workings of the studio Beartooth, like, whether whether Caleb actually does accept outside opinion, like, if the guitarist does walk up to him and say, Caleb, I, I think we should probably put this in. I don't know how responsive Caleb is to that, or whether the guitarist is like, no, Caleb writes and I just play. Dude, like we we we're hearing literally one idea, one person's idea here. Now, I should say that Caleb Shama is really talented, and to do what he's done here for four records is an incredible task. Like for him to to come up with all these ideas and then execute them. And Caleb Shama is is a I believe a, a great modern metalcore vocalist and. I would like to point out that I think Beartooth contemporaries are the likes of Crown the Empire and I Prevail and We Came as Romans and The Word Alive. And I think Beartooth are better than all of them by a considerable distance. But this is the thing, Sam. Should we call this Beartooth or should we call it Caleb Shomo featuring musicians? Because it's all him. It's entirely his ideas. Yeah. Caleb Shomo has written one song on this album. And it's 45 minutes long. Um, that, and that is what has happened because of the situation that you spoke about. He has one idea. He has one songwriting structure. It was really worrying that by two thirds of the second listen, I was able to blueprint where the songs were going. Like, without remembering how they'd gone the previous listen. Because it's like, okay, you're going you're gonna to play this riff with the vocal right at the start. 
Then you're going to take it down a notch for the verse. You're going to build up to a chorus where the chor the chords stop, but the symbols carry on, and so do the vocals. And then you're going to go into a chunky little breakdown riff that's going to repeat that figure at the end. You're going to go back to the chorus, and then you're going to finish. And that's exactly what he did. Like from devastation through to phantom pain, they're identical in structure, in style. There's even there's even breakdown riffs. Like there's a breakdown riff on devastation where it's just that chug that and that he took that off bad listener off his previous record, which he took off dead the previous one. So he's 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 not even he's he's restructuring his own ideas from previously repetitive albums. And this is this is this is the result of it because it's all right. It's okay. Like I said, it's fast and furious. It's exactly what I expected to be. And there are some songs in here that are like floor filler, radio friendly, yeah. big chorus songs. Skin is one of those where it's just a massive, really catchy pop song that it. Feels I like think Skin's one of the best are one of the best songs he's written. I love Skin. I think Skin's great. It's, it's incredible chorus. Well, I didn't enjoy it really because I thought I should enjoy this. But then by the second chorus, <laughs> I, I was <laughs> by the second chorus, I was enjoying it, and then you know detesting myself for the forty-five seconds afterwards because it's, it's it's a great it's pop metal. That's what it felt like, and it doesn't sit with me to enjoy that sort of music. I actively tried to resist it, but it was very very difficult. The same was the past is dead. It felt like a Pierce the Veil type radio friendly metal, but not really metal. Um, pop, but not really pop type song. And all the other album, all the other songs are just cogs in the wheel. Um, because like by the time I got to No Return, there's an over-reliance on the same type of riff, this chunky main riff, you know, off-tempo verse, a metal chorus bridge, and then it changes the pace. And, and the breakdown riffs, his ideas are the same. It's the same riff, you know, he starts low, and then he does that high pitch. He's found that one note down the neck, that he plays a high-pitched note in between his breakdown, his breakdown riff down the bottom of the neck, and that's all well and good, Callum. I, I need to hear more than that because because of this repetition, my by track eight, this was a hard listen. This was a hard listen because I w it was tough to just keep hearing the same style of songs and they're, they're hard to differentiate as, as a result here because I heard Below and I was like, all right, decent riff, head bombing groove. Devastation, I was like, all right, this is simple, gets around to business, big chorus. And then three songs later, I was like, okay, rinse and repeat. You know, like, but... vocal but i like his vocals but i like that it's just a completely feels completely different and has a massive advantage over all of the other seemingly identical beartooth songs and that that is the that is the is the problem here this is not bad i enjoyed it as i was listening to it there were parts that i clipped my fingers and nodded along attacked my feet and did the air guitar thing on my head and things like that but i will put this down and i will not think about it again for another 18 months until i listen to it for context for the next beartooth record that i'll say the same thing about in two years and, and Caleb Show will write and produce and play it all again. I think that in in the context of Beartooth, I think this is probably the second best record, in my opinion. Oh, really? I would, okay. I, I, I would go disgusting. Aggressive than this. No, I would go disgusting then this then then aggressive then uh, disease. Okay, but, fair enough. So. Actually, saying that, when was the last time you listened to Disgusting? It's going to be a long time ago, but just for my curiosity, when was the last time you listened to Disgusting? Probably in 2018. Mate, that album's production, you listen to, you listen to um, Disgusting, that album's production is rough. 
Like, yeah, yeah, what, yeah. what I will say has improved because with me saying that Bear Two's de- debut is, my, in my opinion, their best record, that seems like everything else has gone decline since then. Not necessarily. The production has absolutely gone in the reverse because the production job of this, I think, is actually solid. And it's not perfect. And there are things that there are moments where I wish Caleb would have gone for a more organic sound. But the, the production job here is substantially better than the one that's on Disgusting. What I think, what I think for this record is that it's great at doing what Bear, what Beartooth or like, as we've discussed, should we just say Caleb Shomo is already greater because he's a great vocalist and he's great at being the centrepiece. So on below, when his echoed vocal breaks into the classic Beartooth style high octane riff and he's got that beautiful chorus line, take me down, see how low I go, that he kind of croons across it. You're like, wow, okay, like I'm in. Let's let's keep this going. And then devastation is is I think devastation is the example of how much better Beartooth are than their contemporaries that I mentioned earlier, the eye prevails, the the word of lives, because this song, any single one of Crown the Empire, The Word Alive, uh, Memphis Mayfire, etc. from that crowd, any of those bands could have written this song, but because Caleb delivers it with such vibrancy and finesse, it's just the best version of that crowd. And then the problem setting what you started talking about, because when fed up turns up, that's where it becomes an issue that everything's written by Caleb because fed up is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's got a good hook on the chorus. It's got a nice bite to it, but I can't help but wonder what the tracks that are like five or six out of tens would have sounded like if an outside party tapped Caleb on the shoulder and was like, what about if we did this? Now, I haven't, I don't know what their process is like inside the studio, whether it is literally Caleb that has written it and passes it to the band and they perform it with him or whether he does actually take outside influence. I don't know that. But because it in the line announced, it literally says, written, performed, produced, mastered, mixed and engineered by Caleb. I'm assuming he does it all, passes it to them, write this, perform this while I press record and I do the vocals. I'm assuming it's that. And on songs like Fed Up, that's where it's a problem because that's what an album filler track, it's really like just okay. But what if, what if it had some, what if there was an idea that made it better than that? Do you remember when we were talking about the new Periphery record? Periphery 4, Hail Stan. And we were like, the biggest problem with this is that they've produced it themselves. And they haven't had that outside voice to come in and be like, you don't need Blood Eagle to be 16 minutes, lads. There's no need. You can take seven minutes off easily. There's no need for this to be 16 minutes. And I'm convinced that's what Caleb Shaman slash Beartooth is missing, that outside voice. With that said, Skin is, in my opinion, one of the best songs that Beartooth have written. I Won't Give Up has got an unbelievably like swift flow. And when it, when it uh, like transitions really smoothly into that high amped chorus, it's like an absolute chess beat to the hook in it. It's absolutely insane. I knew you'd like that because it reminded me of Don Brocco. <laughs> Mate, the hook on it is absolutely wicked. Like, it's so good. But even, and, even that was a microcosm of the Beartooth problem because it was the the, the the first time I heard a different drum beat at the start of the song 
was the track before. And then he repeated the same drum beat in the second song in the introduction for this one. So it's like, even when they find a new idea, they repeat that one. Um, but I, I agree with you. Obviously, there were, there were great songwriting moments on this record. I'm sorry to be... No, no, you, you, made, you made a great point there. I just... No Return is... No, what, I think anyone listening, even the most hardened Beartooth fan that is listening to this review, you will get to No Return and you will know that this album relies incredibly heavily on Caleb because the instrumentation purposefully doesn't do much to stand out because guess what? A vocalist has written it. A vocalist has written this album. So he yeah. he's obviously going to situate the record to make sure he sounds great. But that's as you listen to as you listen to this record, mate, I'm with you. Oh my god, by the end of this record, it is like this has been an, an, like a carbon copy almost at points. What I would say as well, Dominate is probably the heaviest song that Beartooth have done. I'd like to add that point. The wince on the guitars is like kind of airlifted from hardcore. And the, I've never heard Caleb sound as straight up violent as he does on these verses. Yeah. Blast the, beats as well. Blast beats. The breakdown is like, without a doubt, the nastiest like microcosm short segment of their career. Just wonderfully violent. So I, I do love Dominate. I do love Skin. I, I like Below. I like Devastation. I like The Past Is Dead. But the problem is the album tracks or the fillers like Fed Up, No Return, Phantom Pain, Hell of It. Wow. It's, it's like, man, Caleb, you've got to get someone else feeding you ideas, man. Um... I think that I, I literally for the answer, which is like the song before the end, but like the, the song, the last riff is literally an instrumental. And <laughs> um, so like for the answer, my note was like, it sticks to what the album highlights, decent instrumentals that are done specifically to back Caleb's vocal runs. That's fine. But what would an actual guitarist have done with this? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because, and I, <laughs> we don't know how good Beartooth's musicians are because Caleb doesn't let us find out. Obviously, they're accomplished musicians. Oh. They're great musicians because they perform they perform these albums to a T with what they're given. But we're not allowed to find out how good they are. For all we know, Beartooth's musicians could be sitting on like something really out there and intricate that could change up our thought process on Beartooth, but we may never find out. Yeah, like I was sitting here thinking, bloody hell, this drum is repetitive. But the riffs he's playing to, yeah, are identical to that point. They're, they're just so repetitive. What else could he do? I was thinking to myself, all right, I'm criticising the drummer. What else could he do for that riff? And I'm thinking, well, he just have to, he just has to follow it, obviously. And that that's just how that works. And as as a result, he's so he's so limited. But I would absolutely agree that if you could put Caleb Sharma, this is the thing. I'd love to see Caleb Sharma in a band. With some dominant personalities and seeing how he worked as a part of a collective with, I mean, it's by sake of argument, but Caleb in Killswitch with, with Adam from Killswitch, who is a driving personality yeah, um, or a band like Architects where there's like multiple songwriters and they all come together. That would benefit him. But obviously he's, you know, he's, he's not that, he's not that guy. And clearly, I mean, if he was, I, I'm a bit cynical, obviously. So I, I'm led to believe that if he really didn't want it to be all about himself, he'd put 
all songs written, produced and mixed and mastered by Beartooth, not by Caleb Sharma. Um, if you wanted to give it a group effort, he absolutely wants it to, wants you to know that it's all him. Um, and I, I do think that the situation is, is that he's writing all the riffs and he's probably playing it to the bassist. He'll follow it along. He'll show it to the guitarist to play the same riffs and he'll tell the drummer to play along and the drummer will just... And then Caleb's like, you know, try a straight beat here, try a upbeat here, try a blast beat here, try something fast here. And he'll do that sort of thing and then he'll put it all together and he'll mix it and master it himself. But like we pointed out earlier, and this is there's no shame. You are not Trent Reznor. You are not Prince. You are not Dave Grohl. Few people are. That's why they're those people. Um, please consider a wider songwriting approach because jokes aside, a fifth album of this, man, Christ Almighty, could be tough. I like Beartooth. They're a really good band. I think this is. I think this is a really good Beartooth record. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, it's 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 up, it's, it's upper table comparison to their other albums. But yeah, what does that even mean though? But what's that mean for them moving forward? Bearsy fans are going to be happy with it, but they're not going to gain a fan base, are they? This isn't moving the needle. If you if you decided that Beartooth in 2016 weren't your bag, what has this album done for you at all? Oh, nothing. Oh, nothing. nothing. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you were Bearsy fans in 2016, and we're less enthused now. Are you more likely to more likely to see a Beartooth show as a result of this album? Nah. So, do you know what I mean? All right, fine. In the annals, of, of, in, on the Beartooth forum, if that's a thing that exists, and they're all sort of arguing over their, their favourite riffs and moments and stuff, fine. This can go up there and the, the enthusiasm and all that sort of stuff, wicked. But I don't think it does anything for them at all. I, I just don't. And isn't that the point? What they're supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of them, isn't it? Because... I feel like we've been like really negative on this record and it's not a bad record. Like you mentioned, no, this it's, and it's, it's, it's not, it's not it's a bad not. record. It's a, it's, it's a good record. This is, it's, it, it's a really good Beartooth record, but I've got a real problem with how Caleb puts this together. And I think that even the most hardened Beartooth fan, once, once you, if you really think about the fact this is all written, by one guy, eventually this this will grate on you, and and you will start just kind of you can't help but just kind of kind of prophesize of what this could have been like if there was an outside influence. And there's so there's limited historical evidence to suggest that the one man show ever worked long term. Even Michael Jackson had Quincy Jones. Even James Hetfield had Lars Ulrich. I mean, it, you you that's just two ends of the spectrum. You tend to need somebody else. Elton John had a lyric writer. We couldn't write words for, for Toffee. Do you know what I mean? Like, you need collaboration, you need partnership. But Microsoft, there was dudes around a table. It wasn't just Bill Gates. We like computers. What a great idea. Steve Jobs had a team of scientists. Employ someone, Caleb. Please. Mate, indeed for a for a guitarist and a songwriter. Meg, yeah. Do you know what's hilarious? Like, he didn't even get a producer in. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's there's not even a producer that could come in and be like, Caleb, just so you know, right, just so you know, 
we this bit's not working and it sounds really similar to what you just did so let's do something different there's not even the a producer like better to, to, to turn the light switch on and Cal's like no on the computer himself I'll get the donuts <laughs> literally like it is it is entirely him and you know what I want to find out Zach I'm gonna because I've got the for context I've got the musicians here Zach Zach Huston, Will Daly, the guitarist, Oshi Bisha is the bassist, and Connor Dennis is the drummer. I want to find out what they've got. I want to find out. Obviously, they're accomplished musicians, as I mentioned earlier. I want to find out what they can do when it comes to writing a record. I want to fo- oh, let us let us find the answers, please, Caleb. Um, and and if they haven't got it, then can you can you get someone in who has? Because like. I can't listen to another album of this. It's no. it, it's un, it's so thing. what like and, and I I like this album. It's better than Disease. It's the second best Bear Tooth album in my opinion. Like I, I I like this album, but I really so like me and you talk about like where artists can go and you know they need to change up and all that kind of thing. Sometimes. When artists are kind of doing the same thing, but at least there's something different. Like you can you can still accept that. Like I don't know, um, the Dirty Nil. So I I love the Dirty Nil, right? Like the Dirty Nil, they aren't making leaps of progression with every record, but there's a little bit different on every album that you listen to. Seriously, Sam, these four Beartooth records, apart from the fact that Disgusting has got really bad production, they are interchangeable. At, yeah, any point, around, at any point, at any point, and you wouldn't know. There's, there's no way you would be able to tell the difference. That's not good. That's not good. No, he's no, he's not. No, he's not. And and like I said, if you're a Bear Tooth fan in 2016, you probably still won in 2021. But if you didn't like them in 2017, and you're not going to have changed your opinion based on this at all, this doesn't move the needle for them in for them in the slightest. Um, and, and, and again, me and you have, have, have often said sometimes we criticise bands for not changing and then when they change it, it's terrible. We say that it's terrible. Um, that's the that's the role of the, the, critique. the critique. Unfortunately, that's just the nature of the game. But um, I would like to see it. Or at least, Caleb, if you're not going to employ somebody else to write different styles of songs, can you give it a go? Could, could you try a clean guitar once in a while? Maybe a, a, a lengthier solo section maybe could you try a different riff a different chord section tune your guitar a different way buy a piano something please like could we just could we just vary it somewhat um that's what i'd that's what i'd like to see um because this i agree it's a good it's a good bare tooth record whatever that means now in 2021 but it hasn't done what i assume caleb wants it to do um if caleb wants it to do stuff like that it hasn't moving forward and stuff hasn't done that for him it's a strange one it's a strange one with all that said believe it or not it's a good album you should listen to it <laughs> out june yeah, 25th yeah. Too, if you'll like it bro. yeah, like, yeah. like the last one it's that it's that yeah. just listen to that, like, more of that poor man if you're a bear tooth fan get on it you'll absolutely love it um, loads of bear tooth in that that, that is where we are going to leave off episode 72 of the noise podcast before my interview uh, with miles baker comes in 
We are going to be back next week, actually. We mentioned, I was mentioning at the start of the intro, which actually I am going to re-record because I, I can't call the name of the person I'm interviewing by the wrong name in literally the intro. <laughs> um, but we mentioned in the intro that sometimes we come, we, we do weekly episodes and next week we are going to come to you with our review of the new At The Gates record with a classic Swedish death metal coming your way. So very, very excited to, to uh, do that one. For now, here is my interview with Mars Baker from Interloper. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to us on YouTube or follow us, depending on whichever service you're using. Follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast. We're going to be back next week with an At The Gates review. We love you. Bye. So I'm now joined by Miles Baker, guitarist in Interloper. Dude, I can't thank you enough for your time, man. How are you? Good, good. Can't complain. Everything is, uh, everything's going well there. How about you? So, dude, I've wanted to speak to you for a, a while now. I've, I've had Search Party for a few weeks, um, and I, I've just been like really, really just listening to it almost 24-7. So the second I knew an interview was available, I, I jumped head first, man. I was, I was never going to pass this opportunity up. So, again, thank you for your time, man. Of course, man. Glad to be here. I figured um, the best place for us to start, really, despite you know, Search Party being your debut full-length record. Interloper isn't actually a new band and was kind of like a project that was picked back up by yourself when you left Rings of Saturn. And was that a decision that you made immediately? Like, did you know that Interloper was the best place for you to go next? Or did you kind of stew on the decision of where to go for a while once you knew that your time in Rings of Saturn was finished? That's a good question, man. Um, I think I knew. I mean, it's always something I wanted to do and, like, pursue you know further and it was something that kind of was going during the rings time a little bit like we had some stuff going on i think actually did we i don't remember i, I don't know we were like writing tunes you know like andrew and i and so yeah when when i left rings man like i wanted to do that and i was looking for killing gigs and stuff ultimately that was really something i was you know trying to do as much as possible and so that was, you know, the immediate thing. But I think, like, big picture, I always knew, like, Interloper was something I wanted to, like, really pursue. Like, that would be the thing I put most of my effort into. The kind of band politics in Rings of Saturn is well documented, and I'm not going to ask you to go into that. Um, but did you feel like, after the experience in Rings, you needed something that you had a real personal allegiance to yourself or something that you at least had a controlling stake in? Yeah, yeah. I think that's good and just like a, a like a fair operating environment and um yeah i mean there's a lot of factors that go into like how how lopers run that were different and not like you know for some people rings would be fine you know but for me it was different and it's you know like it was never going to be like you know my band so it was like something it was like it was a little bit different you know it's like i joined into a band you know i know yeah. for something you know like that's been in since the beginning it started the started the thing so it's like you know, it's nice and it feels it feels different doing things with Loper because it's like, you know, we did this from the ground up. You know, it's not like joining into something. So it's, it's kind of cool. And I think that kind of gives you a little bit more, a little bit, there's a little bit more pride in it almost, you know, it's, it's really cool. It feels nice. You know, you're like really proud of like what's happening when we were doing stuff with rings. It was like really exciting and awesome. And, you know, like I had a lot of fun in that band. Don't get me wrong. But it was never like I did this, you know. Yeah. It was always like you know someone else like did the groundwork to get there, and then now I'm like in this position in like an already like pretty cool spot. So. I mean, ownership in a band isn't something that needs to be like really obsessed over, or like a hierarchy isn't something that needs to be obsessed over. But I can just imagine that like when it's a band that you have grown with 
or or are you made literally from the beginning the sense of satisfaction is at least different or maybe even higher than being just a part of another successful band do you know what i mean yeah that's exactly how it is man that's kind of, kind of what i was trying to describe a second ago it's it's there's much more satisfaction like you know pride in what you're doing because it's your own thing and that doesn't like take away from like being in another band and doing stuff with them it doesn't make it like less cool or like you know you don't you don't care you know like that's not the case it's just it, it's different when it's something like you started you know it's like the, the full the entire like everything that happens is 100 a product of like your work and like the band's work you know, so when that happens, it's like we're we're doing we're doing this right, you know, and it, it feels really good to do that. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When just let's just talk about Search Party for a moment. I was always going to bring it up at some point. It's such a good record. Yeah. Um, you know, dude, I was listening to that album and how great Andrew's vocals are, especially on tracks like Moonlight. I didn't think for one second that he wasn't the predetermined vocalist. And the, obviously, only when I started doing my research, did I realise that actually, after your previous vocalist left, there was a bit of searching for a while. Did you and Aaron have to kind of twist Andrew's arm into convincing him to be the vocalist? What was kind of holding him back from taking the mantle from the get-go? Well, he was always going to do, like, the harsh stuff, you know, because he's, like, a really sick, harsh vocalist. And, like, he was a good singer, but um, I don't know. We just, like, didn't... We didn't see it. And so what happened, like, you know, we had Cody originally and he's got, you know, family and stuff. So it was like, you know, we're, we're in our twenties. He's in his thirties. Like, you know, it's a little different. You know, we're like in different places, you know, we're ready to go grind it out for 10 years and he's like going to be 40 something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that was like a part of it. And then Mike, you know, same kind of thing. Like, I love that dude. He's really cool. But, you know, just kind of, I think like different places. And so Andrew, like what, what really happened was, he was tracking like demos for like new Loper tunes, like things on Switch Party, and we heard it and was like, was like, we were like, whoa, you know, this is really good. You know, his singing sounds really great, and that was like for the EP originally, and some of the LP stuff going on. And so what happened after that was, um, he just like practiced like nonstop. I mean, he you know is already a great singer to begin with. And he was just like the material he was pumping out was just like getting better and better and better and better. It was crazy. And so, um, sorry, my dogs are barking. It's <laughs> That's cool. Man. Yeah. yeah. I've, got, I've got three Yorkies and as you can hear, I love to talk. Um, so what happened after that, um, you know, he was, he was sending us all the stuff and it was really good. And I think Aaron and I, you know, kind of had a moment where we were, were talking or, you know, whatever. And it was just like, dude, this is, I think this is probably it. Yeah. And he can do it and play guitar. You know, it was just like he was right in front of us the whole time. You know, and we didn't even think about it. You know, you're, you're, you're looking at it from this perspective of like we knew that was like maybe going to be something the whole time. And we literally did not. You know, you released an EP at the start of the year, uh, A Revenant Legacy, but from what I've researched, a lot of the arrangements on that EP had been written for three or four years. So that was yep. kind of a process of let's just mix this and get it out. I'm, I'm assuming at least anyway. Um, for Surge Party, obviously that's been born incredibly quickly after that EP's release. Is that because you were so eager to write new material, like actually experience writing new material? Or is Surge Party out so soon after that EP because you've been writing 24-7 and things have just managed to come together quickly? Well, 
Yeah, the Revenant Legacy tracks were old, like pretty pretty old, man. And so those were already written, and they were already there were a couple tracks on there that were already out. You know, so yeah. it was you know it's just it's just old music. And so like we had things written for Search Party already, like before we even recorded that EP, which mind you, we recorded like a year before it came out. And so yeah the search party stuff came together pretty quick there i think were maybe two two songs i think it was like search party and cheshire were like a couple of the first ones to like come for that album and then the rest really pulled together like all through like late 2019 early 2020 up until i think the last one that was written was the wishing well and that was in that was finished up maybe in like july or something we went to the studio in september and so those revenant legacy tracks being old you know it's like a different time and place for our writing and like our brains and what we were trying to do musically and like we hadn't really figured it out honestly like we were just kind of lost <laughs> so like figuring out what we're gonna do you know there were so many different like, wheels in motion like one of the i don't want to get into it there's so many different things and then with search party it kind of just like you know all came in and it was like this is what we're doing and that's i think why this record sounds so cohesive i think the songs are like better you know not that yeah. the other ones are bad by any means it's just like these are better because they are what we are doing you know it's not like we're not wandering you know we're not like experimenting you know glass or not glass house but the Revenant legacy ep had some very like different stuff and um yeah search parties where it came together so it wasn't like necessarily like an active thing where we were like we got to do x y and z that was just like what naturally happened and i think that's why it's like you know the way that it is I think the way that Search Party is structured is like really brilliant. I was I was saying this to you before we actually started recording. I, I find it hard to sink my teeth into prog songs that last like eight, nine minutes plus. It's just the kind of listener that I am. Um, so Search Party is legitimately like the perfect progressive death metal record for me. Um, specifically, there's a moment on Dreamlands that breaks into this kind of progressive piano ballad style but you know instead of it sitting there for like three minutes it then explodes back into this double time riff in your solo so good um how do you manage to squeeze all these ideas into five minutes i can imagine that process it is really really difficult to squeeze these arrangements in, into five minutes and more specifically for aaron as well to play drum <laughs> to, to find out to think of yeah. drum beats that mix in uh, with this how how does that process work? It sounds to me, it sounds like it'd be so complex. Yeah, I mean, it depends on song to song. You know, sometimes like I'll write something, bring it to the table. Andrew writes something. Like Andrew wrote a ton on this record, and then we'll write things together. You know, like Pathkeeper, we wrote like a hundred percent, just like in the same room together. A lot of the stuff was ideas like separately, and they get brought in or like tracked out, and it's like, hey, try this, or like you know, yada yada yada, like the normal process. Yeah. Um, I know, for example, in like Cheshire, Aaron has like a ton of like drum motifing in that one, and so that like being a longer tune, he had you know some more room to play, and it kind of makes it cool, you know, it's, it's more interesting that way, because that's something a lot of people don't really like do or like pay attention to, you know, and so. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it was like, it's like hard, you know, a lot of the stuff's like pretty simple, man. A lot of these songs is like, they're like presented in this like complex thing. It's like, here's this like crazy sounding tune with all these different like directions and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's usually pretty simple, you know, it's like chord progressions and like simple melodies and like even variation on that. And then that's, that's really it. You know, I know, for example, like I, I like to, but Andrew is like a massive 
fan of um the the bridge section you know that's like where the song shines for him mm. and so that's where a lot of the development comes and usually ends up like wrapping back up going back home you know to like the, the original idea of the song and so that kind of stuff's really cool so it's almost like it seems more complex than it really is you know is what it comes down to um but yeah i mean every song's different we had some like the wishing well was a, was a nightmare you know that song's got a lot of like really tricky things in it that you know like key changes for example there's like a tritone key change in it and you don't even notice it you know like getting stuff like that to work is tough you know and there were other tunes that came together super fast and it was, it was just kind of a mix of everything but generally speaking you know it's not too bad it's normal in terms of the writing process for a record you know for most bands that time would usually be split between writing on the road and then writing a bit at home, coming up with the odd riff at practice. But I suppose when you're writing a record in the circumstances of a pandemic, all you can do is write. And if you're struggling for inspiration, there's no two-week tour you can go on to reflect and continue when you get back home. How was the experience of, let's call it, isolated writing? Because I remember reading the notes for the record and I think it was a drift that you'd said or one of the band had said it was a really tough song to write what was it like having the experience of writing and having no break from writing you couldn't go and do something else for the band and then come um, back to it there were other things you could do just taking time off and you know just doing doing other things that aren't playing you know but it's not the same as like doing something and being like occupied doing it you know so i guess it's not like a real break you know you're like still at home or you know around home or you know maybe going to some of the places that were like open around you um but yeah i mean i don't know i think i think we kind of like write like that in general you know we like do ideas at home record everything and we don't like tab things out or anything like that we just like record it and it's like hey here's like here group chat dropbox v1 like figured out like what's happening you know <laughs> you like it and um we go from there so it wasn't like you know it wasn't tremendously different you know we don't like practice or anything like we all like play on our own and we come together and like we're fine you know because we're like you know locked in with each other there's going to be like things we need to like work on and you know play together and get really tight but we don't have like this rehearsal schedule and stuff like that so it, it was pretty normal overall you know it wasn't that much different from what we would normally do the only thing that did change i would say was um like andrew and i really like getting together more often to like work on stuff and that was you know due to things on my end or his end or you know like not being able to like link up kind of thing so yeah wasn't too different was the experience of not being immediately in a studio to discuss different ideas a problem or do you think that might have worked in your favor in the sense of you know sometimes that's the most arduous part of the process isn't it the the back and forth of i want this piece in no i want this piece in was not having that a pro or a con do you feel that's something we actually wouldn't do either way oh okay i don't think we would go into the studio with things not written i mean maybe if we had like you know like a big budget where it was just like it doesn't matter you know like let's yeah. go pay 700 dollars a day to see what happens you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know but that's not really like the case so we before we even like did final recordings for stuff and by the time like aaron went and tracked drums like it was done you know like we already pre-proed out like we already had like the album recorded and then we just had to like record it all again like for the for the permanent one 
And so we already kind of explored that. And that's what we do in our pre-production. You know, we really just get all the ideas out and try everything. Things can change, you know, like maybe like, you know, minor stuff like synth parts or like little things. But once, once we record something, like it's done and it's, it's done before we start recording it. Search Party is this bold, open-ended beast of a, of a progressive record that experiments with acoustics, jazz stylings, and some bluesy riffs. D- does writing a record as open as Search Party allow you to take even more chances in the future? Like, Cheshire is this brilliant, brilliant opus of a song, and I can't see that song not going down really well. So, in the future, do you think Search Party allows you to think, oh, Cheshire went down really well. So if we want to write a song with a flute in it for an album, we can. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, dude, I, I absolutely think so. I think this album's pretty open-ended. And, you know, we were to an extent still kind of like exploring, you know, our sound. And we already have like six or seven tunes written for the next album. Like we've already, already written a lot. Awesome. And they're not like done, done, but, you know, the idea is, you know, it's it's like track, like a song we start to finish is recorded, you know, for each of those. And, there's a couple other ones that I have, and I'm sure Andrew too, that are, you know, a couple parts or whatever. But um, yeah, I think I think it leaves a lot of room for us to be able to do other things and like explore other styles. And like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like pigeonholed, you know? I don't want to be able to not do that because it's not our band, you know? Like, that's yeah. stupid, you know? It's like really dumb. And so being able to do, you know, various different things, you know, within reason, of course. Yeah. But, you know, being able to do that, I think is something that's going to keep, you know, these songs and these records, for example, you know, like Search Party or the next one being diverse. You know, it's not just going to be like the same thing every time, you know, not even like record to record, but just like song to song on the record. You know, like as you hear on this one, there's so many different types of songs. Like it's unbelievable. Like, dude, like Cheshire to like bearing teeth or like cheshire to drift or you know like any of these tunes to each other they're all like really different you know but they maintain that sound there's those elements in each one that like pull it together we we kind of alluded to this earlier but i wanted to make a specific mention for aaron who you co-founded the band with um and i think that sometimes specifically in prog um drummers can be taken for granted like when people discuss periphery I genuinely see them mention Spencer or Misha, but like Matt Halpern doesn't tend to come up that much, but I think he's as vital to that band sound as anyone else. Um, In Interloper's case, Aaron adds so much character to this album. It's crazy. There's a moment on Bearing Teeth where you're hitting your, your shred and he hits this little roll fill that punches in between your notes perfectly. And when I first heard it, I was like, how has he done this? How has he thought of... How's he thought of that arrangement? Which blew me away. Um, yeah. What's it, what's it been like for you to both kind of grow as musicians together? Because you've known each other for quite a few years now. So to see each other, like, ability just continue to kind of one-up each other as we go. How's that been? Like, almost like a kind of brotherhood thing, right? Yeah, I mean, dude, we met, like, through Craigslist when we were, like, 16. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, I mean, I'm 26 now. I'm going to be 27 in, like, two months, two and a half. But, yeah. you know, point being, it's been, like, 10 years, you know, so we've really grown a lot, and it's cool. And I think we, like, reached a point in the past few years where it's just, like, you know, not in, like, a cocky way. Like, there, and there's, like, tons of room to grow. It's not like, oh, yeah, I'm good at guitar. I don't need to get better because that's, like, not how I feel. But, like, we reached a level of, like, proficiency where it's just, like, 
things are expected, you know, and that's, that's cool. And it's like, now when things like change or one of us does something really cool, it's like, Oh, well, you know, we see these, like what I'm saying is we see these changes of like getting better over a longer period of time, because like things that we expand on now, it's not so much like speed and shredding, you know, like we already like did that. And that's just like metronome work. Like what we see things that we get better at take a longer time, you know, it's like songwriting or like coming into like yourself. Like, what do you want to like, like, how is your, your vision, you know, going that kind of thing and doing things that are like outside of the box for us. And so that's stuff that is really cool to see. And it takes place on like a bigger scale or something for me the past several years that like, I've really, you know, become comfortable with and feel pretty confident in like my bends and vibrato. That's not something you get like, you know, over the course of like, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, that's like time, you know? And so like stuff like that's really cool to see, but yeah, for a long time, like growing up playing together, there was like constantly, like every week, it was like something new, you know, that we could do. And that was really cool. And so now when we see those improvements, it's, um, it's, it's bigger than seeing like someone, Oh, I can play this at like 200 beats a minute. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, it's like a bigger, like deeper improvement, you know, and that's cool. You kind of mentioned this just, but Search Party talks about the discovery of oneself and finally feeling content. Just for you personally, with the experiences you've had, is this the most you've ever felt, quote, at home in a band, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I'd say so. There's a lot of, like, development that happened. And, you know, it's like personal things, you know, personal life stuff. There's been, there's been a lot. And so that all factoring in, because that like ultimately really affects the band, you know, how all of us are doing in our personal lives is a direct, you know, has a direct impact on this band. And so seeing that when things are going smoothly, it's like some of us are, you know, overcoming things or, you know, you know, over, <laughs> overcoming stuff, basically, you know, life problems. And that, you know, is reflected in the music and like our output of music and like our quality of like performance, you know, all of that, just like the general like morale is, you know, better. And so, yeah, it feels pretty at home. It's nice. In terms of releases, Interlaper is a new band, but in terms of the members, you've all got such a wealth of experience in the industry by this point. Do you feel like (laughs) that industry, that kind of industry experience has already paid dividends? Like, do you feel like you have already made decisions that a 21-year-old you would have been too naive to make? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <dude. laughs> for sure. Yeah, I would, That's I, would good. Like, I would have royally like fucked this up times if I was like 21 making this decision. I mean, dude, even still, like, we're, there's things that we're still gonna learn. I'm 26. Yeah. Like, I don't know anything, you know, in the big picture. I mean, I know a lot, but not enough. And yeah, there's things that have paid off. And I mean, having this time that we've spent in the industry working in other bands and stuff. I mean we had like two singles out we signed a nuclear blast records you know yeah it's like that doesn't happen you know that's because we knew them and more importantly like not just like oh it's who i know look how cool i am like it's not that you know it's like we knew them and worked with them and they saw like what we could do what we were capable of doing whether it was press or writing a record and like just going out and touring constantly you know they know that like we're already like cut out to be able to do the work that's going to be required for them to make a smart investment you know And now they're like, you know, making that investment basically based on the music we're writing. And so it's, I, it's, we're lucky, man. We're lucky. And we've put in the time and the work and 
yeah, I would say it's, it's paid off, you know, and just like business decisions and other, just various things, man. It's not even just like the label or like the album of the band, you know, it's just like decisions that you make on a day-to-day basis, like yeah. social media and just like work ethic, you know, that's stuff that's learned and you make mistakes in the past and that's how you get better. You know, if someone doesn't make any mistakes doing this, if everything's like handed to them and then it's time for them to do it on their own, they're in for it. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna be a pain in the ass. You're gonna screw everything up, you know, and have to like dig yourself out of a bunch of different holes. I hate to get towards the end of the interview and ask you such a boring question. You've probably been asked lots of times before already today, but I, I am just curious, you know, you wrote like you release an EP, you're about to release an album and you're still not able to like go and really show it to the world. You must feel like a caged animal as a band at the moment, like, and yeah. just die, and just dying for the chance Pretty to much. just get out there and show the world search party. Uh, is that difficult to handle? It must be a really bitter pill to swallow. Yeah. I mean, it's not got- like, it's not like difficult to handle. Like I can't handle it. You know, like, it's just like, it is the way that it is. And we're so close now. You know, yeah. it's, it's cool. We have three singles out. The response has been really good. And so we're just hoping it goes over like super well. I'm looking at the days. Yeah. Eight days from now. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it's like, we've reached the point where it's not far enough off. Excuse me. Where it's like, Oh my God, you know, we have to wait so long, but be back when we like finished the album, like pre-pro. That was when it was like horrible, you know, because it was like, ah. Oh. And then when we got the mixes, like the final mix for Search Party, it was like, oh my God. And then we got the release date. And we're like, no, <laughs> you know, those were the times where it was really like a bummer and you felt like a caged animal. And dude, also something that happens the more you listen to these songs, it's not like you're going to listen to these songs and get old and get tired yeah, of them. Yeah. But like, dude, we've like written these songs, recorded these songs multiple times. Yeah. And like, you know, we play to them all the time. So it's like, it loses the luster a little bit, you know, it's a little less exciting, not significantly. It's not like, yeah, I'm tired of this album. You know, like that's not the case at all, but it's definitely not like when you get those final mixes and you're like, this is the coolest shit ever, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like super pumped. It's, it's a little bit different, but I can't wait. And I, I think that like excitement will be re uh, refreshed, you know, when this comes out, I think yeah. that's going to be something that feels really, really, really good. I can't, I have like a big calendar of like a, whiteboard calendar i'm just like looking at stuff i wrote down like months ago I'm thinking like get to erase it soon <laughs> dude I, I can't see anything other than positive reaction for this record it's so. so so great um dude we've got to this section of the interview where i bring in what's called the quick fire round uh which we do oh. every artist that we have on the podcast that guests i put them through 20 multiple choice questions and we see how quickly you can make your mind up from the two options that I give you. Um, I, have, so... I have options for Alice this year. <laughs> right, so what we're going to do, uh, I'm going to, when you're ready, I will start the timer and then I will start asking these questions and we'll see at which speed you can complete this. Okay. Okay, let's do it. Let's go. Batman or Superman? Batman. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Iron Maiden or Metallica? Metallica. Periphery or Tesseract? That's right. Your favorite interloper song? Oh god. Uh, uh, wishing well. Uh, Marvel or DC? Uh, DC. Uh, the best time of the day? Midday. Your favorite band? Oh, the bottom. Uh, your favorite movie? 
The Rum Diary. Uh, the hardest interloper song to write. To what? The hardest interloper song to write. Oh, right. Wishing well. Uh, the best live show you've ever been to. Been to or like? Performed? Yeah, been to. Been to. You 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 attended. Children of Bodom, uh, House of Blues, LA. Awesome. Uh, the best live show you've ever played. Uh, Empiricon Fest, Leipzig. Awesome. Uh, you can only save one, Ben Affleck or Matt Damon. Ben Affleck. A soap opera is good or bad? Good. Professional wrestling, good or bad? Good. Your favourite TV show? Californication. Netflix or Disney Plus? Netflix. Your favourite album? In Love Blood. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. And the best piece of advice you would ever give someone? Do not give up. Dude, that was impressive. That was one minute yeah, before we said Yeah, a couple of those I got hung up on, man. It was like, <laughs> like, a couple of them I don't have an opinion. You know, that was yeah, like, yeah. I, was like, I don't know. You know, like the GC Marvel, I'm like, oh, you can't even name like right? X-Men. I don't know. You know oh, like, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, that, and then like the Interloper song, that's hard. There's so many favorites, like for Wishing Well. I mean, I like that song a lot, but there's like other ones that are great too. And, like Search Party's awesome. I yeah. like, um, like bound to fall that's probably what, you know, it just changes dude i have like a different favorite all the time they're all like they're all so different i can't pick one i feel like it's harder to pick that over a favorite child i feel like <laughs> I, I, honestly if i if i had two kids i feel like it'd be easier for me to decide which one i like more than the songs on this album <laughs> i like i purposefully make it quite challenging just for a purely interesting uh thing for me to like kind of see band members kind of squabble over what they're uh what yeah they're yeah, some of those, like, oh my god, it's like a, like an engine not turning, you turn your car and it's like, that was like, when I heard these questions. <laughs> uh, dude, Search Party is an insanely good record, I love it so much, I am really excited for you when it comes out, because I think that's going to, you, you seeing the reaction is going to be a really fulfilling for you, for a record that you've sat on for such a long time, and, uh, and for the experiences that you've had. I'm, re I'm really happy for you and I, I hope everything goes well for you man uh, this was really cool and thank yeah. you so much for your time because you've probably been doing interviews all day so dude, well, I have one earlier today I only have three some, some days it's like a lot more but mellow today dude so. this was really cool and I really appreciate your time man thank you so much absolutely of course man are, are you um, are you ending the call when you hang up recording I, I had someone a couple of weeks ago they are like yeah oh, yeah thanks for doing this and they like finish the recording they're like thanks for not just hanging up most people just hang up. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I'm gonna cap into my microphone to signal the end and I'm gonna stay on for a moment okay oh, okay cool. <laughs> cheers dude <laughs>